0: RunAsRadio.com. You're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number seven forty five. Exchange VNext with guest Garrett Gudger. Recorded Monday, September fourteenth, two thousand twenty. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit SoundThoughtsLLC.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. Bringing back one of my regulars today, Gareth Gudger, who's a Microsoft MVP specializing in Exchange and Office 365. And he started back in 1999 working on NT4 and Exchange 5.5 ah the good old days oh i think today is better and he blogs at supertechboy.com you'll see me put out his blogs once in a while and i think they're really cool and uh he focuses on exchange and he is my go-to guy when it comes to talking about the latest on exchange hello friend great to have you back thanks richard it's always a pleasure to be here so uh ignite was a while back and uh the book of news, as they put it out, was so long. I don't even know where to begin. There's so much stuff. Yeah,
1: I, I, I think I looked at that briefly and
0: said, "Wow, <laughs> this is going
1: <gonna, laughs> to." like reading FCC regulations yeah. or something. This is—I mean, it's, gr- it's much more exciting, but it's going to take
0: a while. It's just <laughs> it's like so reading a dictionary stuff. or something. And I, and I have to tell you, my Exchange friend, I am finally migrating off my Exchange server.
1: Nice. Yeah. I mean, a- every. Every year that goes by, heck, maybe even more than that, every month that goes by, I mean, it, it, there's really, the argument has, has switched to, and I think we've said this before in previous shows, mm-hmm. but the argument switched to, you know, give me the reasons why yeah. you can't go to the cloud. What are your reasons to stay on-prem? What are your business justifications? What are your business and technical requirements that you're preventing to go to the cloud? Because at the end of the day, Microsoft's going to be able to do it better than you can. I think that's that's the reality.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm I was starting to seal m- see more mail bounces where the fact that I have a, a small mail server is actually a strike against me in terms of ranking for spam. Uh, I certainly the challenged to keep the infrastructure up. I'm still in 2016, so I've been holding off and going to 2019. Uh, it's now annual SSL certs that are needed. So you know coming up on the next SSL cert and Office 365 is very. Very good. Like it's
1: yeah, and it, it it just makes a lot of stuff easier for you. I mean, you're mentioning the NDRs. I mean, uh, it, it's making the outbound um, or the legitimacy of your email so much easier. Yeah. So SPF is is easy regardless of which way you go. But when it comes to implementing things like DKIM, I mean, for Office 365. That's enabled out of the box. Yeah. Now you may want to actually enable it for your vanity domains, so you don't have like a um, kind of a bit of a mismatch, which you might see if you leave it on the on Microsoft One signing. But so much stuff is easier; just a you know, it's push of a button. You know, Dkim. The only way to do that with your on-prem you know Exchange server, for example, you would have to have some kind of a hygiene or or third party that processes your mail before it goes out. Yeah, you know, Mimecast or
0: IronPort or something like that. So, which is a service, right? You, you can pay for that service. And same for your inbound mail filtering and so forth. You can pay for that service. And, you know, at some point I'm looking at all the money I'm spending to operate an exchange server around exchange itself and going, that this, this is silly. Uh, yeah. And, it, and, 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 and rickety, like just more challenging to maintain.
1: Yeah. And it's not always, it's not just the cost of exchange that you have to look at. It's the um, kind of the cost of everything else that goes with it. I mean, we're talking about backups. We're talking about infrastructure mm-hmm. and you know, uh, message hygiene and and all those extra pieces that you know bolt onto Exchange as well yeah. to to give you that real good email experience that you know a lot of that Office three sixty five is just natively going to have and you know some of it might be still be an upcharge and you know, getting my like things like you know Office three sixty five ATP. But yes. again, it's just you you're plugging a license and now you have it. You and know, it, you're not really. I mean, there's definitely some configuration, but um, you know, you're, you're not trying to recreate the wheel yeah. on prem.
0: As such. I I am not doing the hybrid thing. I am migrating up. I, I happen to hit a point where I don't have a lot of additional businesses and things going on, so there's not as many accounts. I took the time to cull through and figure out who's still using my server and who's not. Uh, and it was kind of uh, I realized I have have been running Exchange since five five, and so there's baggage. Nice, nice. you know, it's just a lot of baggage, and I've, I'm I'm kind of looking enjoying the clean break. Not that you can migrate completely all at once. It's like wind down the counts that nobody's using, move the counts that you need to move. And there's a few where it's like, oh, I am using that, but I'll move off to another service, you know, essentially, you know, go rehost. And some of them are hopshi hop, hopping on like the $6 a month office 365 basics.
1: Yeah, that's some good baggage there. Exchange five five. So <laughs> Well, just my <laughs> yeah, that's you a know, lot of exchange. Have you have you missed any
0: exchange versions in between or have you hit every single one since five five? Pretty much hit every single one along the way. And part of that was, you know, I was doing enough exchange support, like at least being able to look someone in the eye and go, I feel your pain. And that, that that you that was important to me for a long time, but it isn't anymore. It's just not the work I'm doing anymore. And I, and I just I'm at a point now where I just want stuff to work. I have other things to do. Rather than yeah. deal with uh, with exchange stability.
1: Yeah, and I think we've I think we've talked about it before as well. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, getting yourself out of the data center business. I mean, do you really want your job to continue to be, you know, patching exchange servers, maintaining the care and feeding of exchange servers, yeah. or do you want to try and implement cool new things like, uh, you know, how do I do DLP rules or, or different stuff that you know now now I'm addressing. Um, real business issues yeah, rather than just constantly trying to solve technical issues.
0: Yeah, I had this conversation earlier today, not on a show, where we're saying, how do I make sure IT doesn't look like a janitor to the rest of the business? just a cost center that needs to be cared for, but at the lowest price possible, and the only time they notice you is when you don't do your job.
1: It's a lot easier to uh, spread those cost centers around when you're in a cloud paying for per-user licensing. Yes. You can very easily say... Hey, this is the cost of HR's IT. This is the cost of legal's IT, and so on and so forth. It becomes pretty easy, I think, to start dividing or making those you know divisible lines of you know where that goes. Where yeah. you know you're just hosting Exchange on prem at a data center and all the you know uh, other services that like we just mentioned, like backups and stuff that have to go with it. I mean, I guess then you're doing a percentage of cost based on your user account. Uh, I think, it, like I said, it becomes a lot easier when you move those uh, to cloud
0: costs. But plus, the only time people notice mail is when it doesn't work, right? And so, there's no way for you to get an A in email. You get a C in email if it works perfectly, and you get an F if anything goes wrong. Like, that's not what you want to hang your career on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
1: email is... I wonder where it ranks a lot of times. Um I know I've always seen those studies where, you know, number 1 if internet is down, you know, and the person can't get to their eBay or their Amazon, right. You know, you're going to hear people complain, but um uh, sometimes I feel like email's got to be right behind that one, uh, even above probably most line of business apps that, you know, the business might say, "Hey, these are these line of business apps are the most critical, but you know, email is usually the most impacting sure. for for being down.
0: But e- email also has that fear, uncertainty, doubt problem. Where it's like, I sent that email, but did they actually get it? They just haven't responded yet. Like, or something wrong with the mail server that the mail's not actually going out, or that mail's not coming in. Like then As soon as people lose confidence in an infrastructure piece like that, you've really got a problem.
1: Yeah, and that's another
0: bolt-on. It's,
1: uh, are you doing adequate monitoring of your on-prem exchange server yeah. today? Are you monitoring message queue length? Are you monitoring free space to make sure you're not having back pressure issues where messages aren't getting sent or delivered? So... You know, with Office 365, you're, you're, I mean, sure, there's a little bit of monitoring still, and there's definitely third party products out there that will monitor, uh, Office 365 for you. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot less, you're not monitoring the servers. You're not monitoring, you know, things like message queues anymore. You know, you're just going to a dashboard. No, Exchange Online is healthy. And, um, and, and there's definitely, uh, and, you know, with the new, uh, Exchange Admin Center, they've added a lot of tiles and insights and reports. Uh, so so the, you know, these are the really the critical things you want to monitor with Exchange Online. It's things like, you know, my inbound mail, my outbound mail, is things getting queued? Are things going to retry? You know, definitely the more of did that email send, as you were mentioning, yeah. rather than, you know, am I out of memory on my server? Um, so
0: yeah, the a whole other class of problem. And so yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying the experience. It's it's fun to modernize. So, you know, I've been doing a lot of things for a long time. This podcast being one of them. And just sort of trying to shake off the old, build out the new, and take advantage of the the features that you're getting uh, in in uh, building those things out. Uh, it's been fun, and it's in, it's interesting to sort of have that exercise. It's very different doing it for yourself than it is doing it for another organization. So let's uh, let's dig into this list of of goodness that came out of uh, out of Ignite Exchange. The we are going to get another Exchange version. 2019 is not the last one.
1: Yeah, so a new version of Exchange. and um, it, it was basically announced against all of those um, back-office-type products. So mm-hmm. we've got your Exchange is getting a vNext. Um, we haven't heard, you know, is that... And, and supposedly releasing, I think it was second half 2021, so pretty soon. Um, but Exchange is getting a vNext, uh, SharePoint, and Skype for Business. So all, all of the Office server products are getting a
0: vNext. Um, very few details... On it. The Skype for business surprises me, you know, because the push for Teams has been so strong. I'm surprised that S4B continues. Shouldn't there just be a migration path of the S4B to Teams? Uh,
1: it's a good question. I, this, the, I'm sure it's the a similar story to, to why we need another version of Exchange mm-hmm. is there's customers that are still willing to pay for it. Right. And I think as long as Microsoft, you know, is going to you know, continue to make money and, and continue to profit on that product, uh, I think they'll keep shipping it for now.
0: Yeah, it's true enough. They may say, make those noises about, hey, we're going to move away from this. You should move over here. In the end, they're leading the parade, but it's by walking in front of where people are going. So if people don't go there, they're going to keep adjusting that. I mean, the another great example of that is Basic Off being pushed back again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Basic Off has got pushed back. I mean, originally... Uh, that was going to uh, have a deadline of back in October, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, Microsoft said, "Hey, due to the you know COVID pandemic and uh, the uncertainty of 2020 in general, uh, and and you know the, really people's priorities changing, yeah. um, that uh, you know w- we can't shut off basic off until you know, the, and they basically just said 2021. Um, you know, they haven't given us a new firm date, so." Not sure when that's going to happen on 2021, but I, I would say keep the eyes on the Elo blog, the Exchange team blog, to see, you know, when that when that new basic off date is. But when that happens, I mean, any client that supports or can only support basic off, so it can do can't do modern off, no O off, so that would uh, rule out your Outlook 2010 client right away, yeah. uh, which is technically unsupported, but will still kind of work. Yeah. Um, and then obviously unpatched Outlook 2013s will still work, but technically also unsupported. You know, so any of those clients that don't support modern offer are, are instantly going to break once that block comes yeah. down. Same for active sync clients. Um, you know, if you're using an older, uh, phone or device, um, that doesn't support modern authentication, you know, you're going to have a lot of problems there. It's going to break. Um, obviously the, the guidance is going to be either you get a new device that supports modern off with its native mail client mm-hmm. or you go to Outlook mobile. Which is a modern off-capable device, and then it's really across the board. I mean, we're going to be seeing it for POP, IMAP, uh, Exchange web services. So if you've got integrations, I think we talked a little bit about on the uh, last show as well. Mm-hmm. Is that um, you know any any kind of integration that you may have with with um, uh, Exchange Online? Maybe that's a Cisco Unity or, or, or a fax solution. You've got to make sure that those are at a level that will be able to support modern off as well. So there is a bit of a temporary reprieve on this. Uh, but again, it's, uh, we're, I, I don't think it's going to get pushed back again. Cause I believe the October date was the first time it was pushed back. And then now we're getting pushed back to 2021. So, uh, I, I wouldn't count on it getting pushed back again and, and eventually we'll do get, we will get a date in 2021. Uh, I, I would definitely start planning to, uh, deprecate apps or upgrade apps that, uh, can't do, uh, can't do basic or can't do modern officer
0: and they have given an array of options here. Like you, there's not just one way to fix that. Although office 2010, I mean, I don't know anybody who's still running it. I do know of some office 2013 instances out there.
1: Yeah. Earlier this year, uh, around the January timeframe, the project I was working on, uh, they still had a pretty sizable deployment of office 2007. Holy man. Uh, it, yeah, it certainly wasn't their primary, um, you know, I mean, they, they, they were, they actively had a project to get everybody on Windows 10 and Pro Plus, and they, I think, worked really fairly well along with it. Um, so the majority was on the newer stuff, but they, I mean, just based on timing, they were still trying to eliminate, uh, 2007 and Windows 7. And that, you know, there was still, uh, it was still a sizable part of their, you know, enterprise.
0: Was that user um, resistance? Like they were happy there and they didn't want to move, or is it just there's so many machines?
1: Yeah, I think it was just really just so many machines, you know, you know when you're talking about some of these enterprises that might have 50,000 seats. Sure. You know, it's just, you know, can we can we push out all these updates uh overall WAN links to all our different, you know, satellite offices? Yeah. Uh, you know, usually that has to be scheduled so we're not saturating WAN links and or do we need to refresh the hardware for the latest version? Yeah, I mean and sometimes budgetary. I mean, the, I I can't remember what their specific reason was. I think it was just timing. For them, I think it's just like you know we're going as fast as we can.
0: Yeah, for sure, and it, and totally reasonable too. I also think there is some squeaky wheel effects where you know you have a quiet department who's just getting work done and don't think about technical innovation all the time. You're not going to get to them as soon.
1: Yeah, and I've definitely run into other situations where um, uh, I was actually having projects uh, in 2019 where you know, versions of Office couldn't be upgraded because they was reliant, you know, other software that was integrating with Office right. was reliant on specific versions of Office. Those old add-in models. Uh, right, right. So it's like, well, we have to wait on upgrading that before we can upgrade, um, you know, the version of Office that we're on.
0: Man, Yeah, if you're bound to a 2007 add-in model, there's no upgrade path. You need to do it a different way, whatever that thing is. I, I just, I suspect... Very hard to, to upend that.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's always a couple ways to, to look at that one. It, it, it's, do we, you know, when it comes to the, the migration, we're like, well, we can, we can kind of schedule those guys to go at the end and give you a little more time to get them upgraded. Or, you know, maybe they have two workstations on their machine or they're using webmail. Uh, until they get upgraded, there's definitely always options, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you just got to weigh the pros and cons of which is the best option.
0: And and did I see in terms of folks saying on prem, of which apparently I'm not one of them anymore, they're making it easier to keep the upgrades going like they're they doing more in place style upgrades rather than just starting over?
1: Yeah, so that's that's what's coming with the VNext product, hmm. uh, and we don't have a year for you know, so you know, if it's coming out in the second half twenty twenty one, I mean, theoretically, it could be called Exchange twenty twenty two. Yeah, but something that I've speculated for a while, and I, I even kind of speculated this when before twenty nineteen was going to release, was are we just going to get? Are they going to drop the year? Is it just going to be called Exchange Server, and we're going to be in that green field? Um, Update cadence like what we see with Windows Ten yeah, and absolutely. System Center, you know, and other products. Um, so, I, you know, that said, um, they are there are going to be in place upgrades from Exchange Twenty Nineteen to the V Next, but not from other versions. So, if you're coming from, if you're already on Exchange Twenty Nineteen, uh, you can do an in place upgrade to the uh, Exchange V Next, whatever that's going to be called. Uh, if you're on 2016, uh, 2013, you're still going to have to do uh, a more traditional migration where you're going to set up these vNext servers, and then you're going to move mailboxes from 2013 or 2016 over to uh, over to the the vNext product. But yeah, if you're on 2019, you're actually in a really good spot.
0: Yeah, it's it, it's interesting that it would, they would change that. But like I said, it's, it maybe this is they're doing the Win 10 thing, and there won't be any more inversions effectively after this. That the 20, 2019 will be like that.
1: Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, I think we're seeing this message across all of Microsoft products. And I think it's going to be with the office server products as well, mm-hmm. where, you know, when they, when Windows 10 released, it was like, well, this is the last operating system you'll ever need. And I think that's going to be the same with Exchange. And I would assume SharePoint and Skype for business where, you know, if they don't put the gear as part of the marketing, uh, it's just going to be Exchange Server and we'll see you forever. But, you know, we'll definitely find out more closer to as the product, you know, starts to, uh, you know, enter various public previews and, and whatnot. We'll, we'll get more information on on how they're going to structure that.
0: And to be interested to anchor that off of 2019 and rather than you have to do a classical upgrade up from to this thing that 2019 gets to a state where it's able to just transform into this new version.
1: Yeah. And, and a lot of the guidance we're now seeing uh, from Ignite that, you know, if you're on. Uh, an older version of Exchange, and you're planning to stay on-prem. Uh, the guidance is to go to 2019 now, Right. and then you can just do the in-place upgrade to the V-next. Um So, you know, and then you know, they're they're talking about, hey, if you're on 2019, uh, because you can do an in-place upgrade, you can have these in the same DAG, the same load balancer. So it really does make the migration from 2019 to the V-next product
0: very, very easy. That's awesome. And Gareth, I want to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As is brought to you by the new Virtual Dev Intersection and SQL Intersection Workshop event. If you've ever listened to the SQL Q&A shows on Run As, you've heard the fun, knowledge, and experience of some of the workshop leaders at SQL Intersection. And for the first time ever, the event is going virtual December 9th and 10th. Go to virtual.devintersection.com to register and check out the amazing lineup of workshops. And there will be great keynotes from Scott Guthrie and Charles Manana and the workshops cover topics including Azure, .NET development, as well as SQL Server-related materials. Spend a few hours and go deep on important topics at virtual.devintersection.com. And we're back. It's running As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell talking to Gareth Gudger, the super tech boy, and talking about uh, all the goodness uh, that is exchanged in this next version, maybe the last version, so to speak. Uh, other things you saw in from, from the contact or the, that you thought were going to be important for us going forward?
1: Yeah, I think the real interesting change is how they're going to be licensing the product. They're hmm. switching to a subscription-based model. So, you know, traditionally we had, you know, all your various license types, whether that be, you know, your like kind of your open value or your EAs or whatever. Or, or it, you know, and that switched a little bit with Exchange 2019, where it's like it's only going to be available through volume licensing. Right. Um And now with the VNext product, we're uh, switching to a subscription-based model. Um, I'm assuming that would have to probably be per user. User Um, or mailbox. Maybe it's per server. We'll see.
0: Yeah. I could see server. I could see user. I could see mailbox. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, possibly not mailbox, because nothing's ever really licensed, technically not licensed per mailbox in Office 365. So, you know, shared mailboxes, resource mailboxes technically don't need a license right. uh unless you need some of those advanced features. So, for example, if your if your shared mailbox needs to be larger than 50 gigs or, you know, lead, needs like a, a,
0: a an unlimited archive, then you're going to license that. But generally Microsoft will say, "Hey, it's it's a license for each user." But then you have to define user at that point, right? Is that a unique login?
1: Well, so for Microsoft, a user is always going to be um an, an actual person. Um right, so I, I could see they could they could potentially still do per mailbox for on-prem, but I, I would say probably not to muddy the waters between exchange online licensing and exchange on-prem licensing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think they're going to go per user, per actual person, right uh, but but we'll see I mean, per mailbox is definitely a possibility. Maybe it's per server, but either way, it's going to be subscription based. And I kind of wonder how they're delivering that subscription. If that's going to be through, you know, you're going to need an Office 365 tenant to purchase that. Right. Definitely a lot of questions and a lot of speculation still. Not a lot of details other than it's going to be subscription based. Um, You know, so a lot of the pain we had around. You know, you can only get Exchange 2019 through a volume license is definitely going to go away. And it sounds like this is going to be much more accessible to anybody.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely. In some respects, makes things easier, but you still have to learn your way around it. It wouldn't surprise me if it's using O365 for the client side and that's your user, even if you're you now whether you use Exchange Online or you use your on-prem Exchange server. Yeah, I mean, we're speculating, though. I don't know the answer to that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we'll find out more information definitely in 2021 as the uh, product gets uh, uh, closer to a public preview, and uh, that'll be a great follow-on show.
0: Yeah, for sure. We see, we see more more to be seen. Um, new version of PowerShell for, for Exchange?
1: Yeah, well, so Microsoft has released uh, that Exchange Online version 2 mm-hmm. PowerShell module. Um, so the version 2, it, it has a bunch of commandlets that will run a lot faster and a lot more efficiently, especially in large enterprises. You know, if you've got like 100,000 mail objects or something like that. Mm-hmm. Some of the commands that you ran in the old version of PowerShell took a really long time to return results. Um, even if you were getting created with filters and and stuff like that. So, uh, the version two PowerShell, I mean, I think they were saying up to eight times faster in some cases of, uh, commandlets returning results. Wow. Um, also the Exchange Online version two PowerShell module is gonna, uh, they're adding certificate based authentication. So, one of the challenges we've had for a very long time is, you know, I want to disable legacy off or basic off, um, you know, my tenant, but I still have these scripts that I need to run these unattended automated scripts. Right. You know, maybe they do some cleanup or provisioning or something like that. Um, if you're running the Exchange Online PowerShell module version two, you can do certificate-based authentication. Uh, so now you're leveraging modern off for all your unattended scripts. So I think that's that's really huge news for for anybody that likes to automate. Uh, with Exchange
0: Online. Yeah, and I would hope that at some point that'll just be the default too. Like I'm, I'm presuming migration and hybrid modes are only getting better because it seems to be the norm. Like I don't know a lot of folks that have gone hybrid with Exchange and ever fully turned off the on-prem Exchange.
1: Yeah, so unfortunately, there's no new news for that one. So yeah. Microsoft, for a number of years, have been working to eliminate that last Exchange server on-prem, especially around the you know, those management pieces, mm-hmm. you know, so, uh, the current stance is that if you're doing directory synchronization, so your active directory is your source of authority for all your objects in the cloud. Um, if that is the case, which it is for basically everybody, yeah, it should be. Uh, unless you did a cutover migration, um, you, your on-prem exchange still has to be there to, um, uh, to modify attributes. For, for Exchange, so doing things like email addressing and stuff like that hmm. it's not to say you can't eliminate Exchange and still do it and get creative with like Attribute Editor and stuff like that I've known companies that'll do that um, but it, that's not a supported scenario. So if you want to stay completely supported with Microsoft, you need to have at least one exchange server on-prem that's still managing those exchange attributes for any synchronized object that you have. Um, and again, you know, I think quite a few ignites now Microsoft said, Hey, we're, we're working on ways to eliminate that need, you know, whether that goes to some kind of a multi-master type role or, or we're able to modify those attributes in the cloud and write them back, you know, how, whatever methodology they end up coming up with. Um. Hopefully, one day that will eliminate that need to manage those cloud objects from on-prem. But as of right now, yeah, you know, it's still kind of that status quo of of no new updates. That said, um, management is only one piece of a puzzle. I think the bigger piece is SMTP relay. Hmm. Um, Microsoft definitely says, hey, you can relay your multifunction printers and devices and apps directly to Office three hundred and sixty five. My problem is, is I'm running into a lot of organizations, at least at the enterprise level, where outbound mail flow is heavily restricted. Um, you know, whether that be to protect, you know, them from, you know, any kind of spam bots that might get on a machine, whatever the case may be, or just, you know, they want to heavily control outbound mail flow. Um, That said, usually those exchange servers are staying on-prem to act as mail relays. These are two known, you know, however, well, I shouldn't say two known. However many exchange servers you keep on-prem for your hybrid mail flow and mail relay are known entities. And so a lot of times what I'll see is, uh, the only thing that's allowed outbound on port 25 on these firewalls are those couple of exchange mail relay servers. Yeah. Depending on the size of your organization and how highly available that needs to be. And how many messages you're sending i mean that could be anywhere from one to x number of servers that are that are
0: handling that so but i mean most aren't I, most people using tls around this anyway and they're on 465 or 587
1: no i I mean we've got a lot of devices and printers that might be old right that just can't do tls yeah or you know if they do tls do they do the right version of tls or are they yeah. still doing like tls 1.0 yeah which um,
0: you should be stopping yeah, as well
1: yeah. And there's definitely a whole different conversation when it comes around to SMTP off as well. So I've definitely run into all sorts of stuff. And, and it's usually the multifunction printers, I think that, you know, are, are usually the issue. It's either one, they don't do TLS or if they do, it's only 1.0 or they don't uh, support the port that you need to use it on. Right. Um. There's, there's so many different, um, issues that you usually run into. And, and usually the easiest way is, well, let's keep those relaying through office, you know, through, sorry, exchange on prem. Mm-hmm. And that way we can block all those externally outbound connections that, you know, it, it, rather than saying, Hey, we've got a thousand devices that might be sending out email. We have just these exchange servers and they're known entities and right. we can control that. Yeah. We can keep and, it. And a lot of the security people prefer that they don't want to Swiss cheese their, uh, their firewall, you know, very much so it feels like outbound is becoming almost as important as inbound when it comes to firewall rules.
0: Yeah, 100%. You know, that's where the exploit exists. You're going you're gonna to make a breach once in a while, but what can they do if they can't communicate outward? Then you've, you've stopped them as well. It's very much security depth. And I'm with you. 425 is locked down six ways a Sunday. But 465, because it's supposed to always be encrypted, you know, they, that's that's less of an issue. Uh, but, yeah, it's very interesting to think in those terms. I almost I almost feel like I want a gateway device, but I guess that's what Exchange is serving as, that all these devices point to this, this Exchange server, and then it's responsible for what mail, how it gets forwarded, what it's allowed to do.
1: Yeah, and it really depends on the app. Like I said, multifunctions are usually the worst ones yeah. uh, for what they support. Um, and, and then a lot of organizations you run into, there's never any there's never much standardization when it comes to those multifunctions or they're all, they're all at different levels of their lease or their contracts. You've got all kinds of different versions of multifunctions, different brands of multifunctions. Then you're running into things like homegrown apps that, you know, we're written to to send email. Yeah. Or you're you're running into turnkey solutions and you go into their email properties of that server for, you know, checking their alert settings or something. You're like, oh, there's zero TLS options in here. <laughs> um, or it can't do SMTP off. So I think we're a long way away of, you know, I think there's just so many apps out there that are so far behind when it comes to sending mail. Um, that, that we have to keep these Exchange servers on-prem yeah. for now.
0: When they, and, you know, this is Ned Pyle's bugbear, too, right, with TLS1 and SMB1 and all of those old protocols that a lot of these appliances still lean on. And we just got to keep pushing them to go to the modern security. But, I mean, the, the security evolution of mail in general continues to improve. Isn't Dane the new hotness?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Office 365, our Exchange Online, they're uh, looking to add outbound support for dane and dnssec so 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 this
0: is um, dns based authentication of named entities yeah so (laughs) great uh,
1: effectively effectively what you're doing is is you're basically publishing your capabilities um in your external dns Mm -hmm. so you're saying you know so so for a typical um you know handshake unless you're doing forced tls which you know you have to set up and set up connectors. Unless you're doing forced TLS, everything else is opportunistic TLS. Right. And that's where um you know your uh, Office 365 or your mail server is effectively issuing out a start TLS command and they're doing a handshake and negotiation to figure out what each side supports and then they agree and then the mail starts sending. Fortunately that can be susceptible to things like man in the middle attacks Mm -hmm. and downgrade attacks. So really what you're doing with, uh, Dane for SMTP is you're, you're saying, you know, some basically Office 365 can, can look at that recipient and see, okay, what is, what is their domain support? And they see a published, uh, Dane record, uh, which says we support TLS 1.2 and that's it. So Office 365 very early on, can just say, hey, let's start sending with TLS 1.2 rather than going through that handshake where things could happen.
0: Right. I mean, this is no different than fetching an MX record just so you know where to send the flipping mail, right? But you also check for and what security options do I have so I can do the right thing from the beginning.
1: Yeah. And then uh, the Dane records are all supported or secured with DNSSEC. So, right. you know, not only do you have the record there, but it, you're also, um, uh, you, you can also confirm that it hasn't been tampered with because that record is all, uh, you know, secured with. Certificates through the standard DNS uh, SEC records, so mm-hmm. you know the record you're getting hasn't been tampered with, and then you know exactly what the other party can do before you even start negotiating with their email server.
0: Nice, yeah, it makes a lot of makes a lot of sense, and it is, you know, adding a new layer and smarter layer of security to what was a uh, completely insecure protocol. That we all depend on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's really, I mean, SMTP, you know, simple, simple mail transfer protocol. Very lightweight, no security designed in it.
0: Yeah, just wasn't there. and We just had to keep layering it on. Clearly, we're getting better at it bit by bit to to be able to lock things down more effectively. And it's nice to see that support coming and more retirement of the older protocols. Uh, Any other favorite tidbits, friend, before we call it?
1: Uh, yeah, I think the other big one that I, I kind of really like the idea of is the plus addressing. Um, yeah. So uh, what? And this is something that is rolling out now. Um, what you you do still need your tenant, or or as the tenant admin, you need to enable this for your organization. But once it's enabled, effectively, what users can do is they can put in their email address. So it's it's on the left hand side of your ad sign. So you could have. Say for example, uh, Richard Campbell, uh, and then after your whatever your normal email address is, you add a plus sign, and then put whatever you want effectively. Right, and then you can use that email when you're signing up to things, say newsletters. Right, right. And I think the benefit here is that who you know, I think especially is like, has anybody sold my email address? Sure. Well, and, and if, if you knew that you signed that plus address up for you know, some newsletter and all of a sudden you're getting spam on that. Well, either one, they've sold your details or two, they've had a leak or a breach. Yeah. Um, so definitely very cool stuff it's, around
0: there. And you can... Um, Gmail's had this for years, haven't they? Like, I, th- 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 you've been able to do that in Gmail for a long time. Yeah. So definitely a little bit of catch up with Exchange Online, sure. but
1: really happy to see that it's coming. I, definitely a lot of uses for this and you know, being able to have inbox rules around it and all kinds of fun stuff.
0: Yeah, I like the idea of rather than an inbox rule based on the source of the email, like you have to wait for them to send you an email and then you can build a rule for it. It's like you can, by adding that plus, you know, we could put together a macro that as soon as I see a plus, it's like, I don't have a rule for that. Where do you want anything coming to this address going to? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think the other big thing that I that came out of Ignite, uh, and we've kind of been teased on this, I think it was back in like Ignite 2016 or 2017, Maybe 2016, we, we, we saw alpha code of a tenant to tenant migration. Hmm. Uh, and then it was kind of radio silence for quite a few years. Uh, at, at this Ignite, um, they now have that in public preview. Uh, so if you're dealing with like mergers, acquisitions, divestitures, and you need to get mailboxes out of one tenant into, into another, Microsoft now has in public preview, um, a, a mailbox migration, uh, tool. So you can migrate that mailbox. Uh, between between two tenants um, there, there definitely is still some challenges uh, so for example the your domain can still only exist in one tenant right uh, although I I just saw a tweet uh, well I shouldn't say just saw. Uh, at the time of recording, <laughs> I just saw a tweet from, uh, Scott Schnoll at Microsoft saying that they're also looking at, there's also a, a preview that they're starting to work on for SMTP domain sharing. Interesting. Uh, so I think that's going to be very exciting. But, uh, at the time of recording, yeah, the, the version one or the public preview of this, uh, tenant to tenant migration, um, is uh, you know that you're still going to be limited by by that domain only being able to be in one tenant. So, if if it's an acquisition and you're changing all your domain names anyway, yeah, I think this is a great solution. Uh, if you're not, you're probably going to have to have some kind of a rewriting service, maybe from like a Mimecast or a Proofpoint, uh, until you can get everybody moved over, and then you can cut the domain over. Um, but definitely a lot of good stuff in the right direction.
0: Yeah. The domain has to move last effectively. Yeah. I mean, it's so many organizations I know that they never are able to consolidate infrastructure. It's just too hard. Too many things break. So anything tooling we can get to start actually being able to say, we're going to move this stuff. We're going to retire it all. It's interesting that the domain moves last. Like that's the last thing you can do is move that domain.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the same struggle we've had with third party tools. So if you're using like a Quest or a BitTitan or Mm -hmm. a binary tree, I mean, you know, it's the same struggle there. Um, Moving the data was generally the easy part. Uh, The tough part was, is, you know, when do I rip out the domain from one and move to the other? Which again, like I said, if, if you're switching domains as part of your migration, it's pretty simple. You can move it in batches. But if you're having to maintain that same domain and there can't be any outage, you know, then it's, well, do I do a big bang? Is the organization small enough and can I accept the risk just a big bang and move that all in one weekend, say? Or are they large enough that a big bang is just wait? or one, it's too risk, too much risk, or two, it's just, you know, we're defying physics at this point. We yeah. can't move that fast. You know, and then you're looking at things like, do we look at a rewriting service? Do we look at, you know, a third-party product, you know, Ah, uh, that now has uh, you know has the ability to know where to send mail and and you know maintain my brand during these periods of coexistence, um, which which could definitely become a little pricey as you're you know doing your migration for sure, yeah. Um, but. but yeah, I think between uh, you know the SMTP domain sharing and uh, you know maybe a version two of this uh, mailbox migration, to be really interesting to see. You know, how easy Microsoft is going to make this for me, or at least, you know, they're addressing, you know, 90% of migration scenarios that I
0: don't have to go to a third party product to do. Yeah, it's uh, interesting that because in, it's just core skills now, like we need those things to be part of it. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Well, Gareth, a uh, nice recap. Lots to talk about in uh, exchange continues on like if mail's not going anywhere. Uh, and you know, hopefully we we'll see a new state in the next uh, in the next few months of what the may perhaps forever version of exchange looks like yep absolutely the
1: uh keep, keep uh I always recommend, you know, taking a look at the uh, Exchange Team blog, the ELO blog. Yes. Uh, always a great source to find out what's coming for Exchange. And a lot of times, a lot of Outlook stuff posted there, too. So I yeah. always recommend that as a resource.
0: Yeah. And they've got links up there for all the Exchange announcements. So it's a great place I'll include that in the show notes. Gareth, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, Richard. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.